we're going to look at, is Jesus really the Messiah? And we're going to deal with that issue. We're going to ask the question. We're going to answer it. But in the coming days, we're going to look at subjects like, can you lose your salvation? Can you forfeit your salvation? Do all roads, I mean, do all roads lead to heaven? Do all roads lead to God? Um, how about this one? Would a loving God, or why would a loving God send people to hell? How about the guy in some hut on the other side of the world who has never heard the gospel? I don't know why everybody's worried about that guy. But, you know, you get that, right? When you, like, witness to people, they're always worried about the guy that hadn't heard. Can I tell you this? The Bible answers every one of those questions. Here's the problem. Many people, when they have those just wondering moments in their life, try to answer a spiritual question with a logical answer. It will end up in the ditches every time. And so we try to answer them logically, and we're trying to answer a spiritual question with logic, which it creates problems every time. You see, it is not, it is not what you think. And it's not what I think. It is about men and women taking and submitting their life to his word and understand that his word is over them, an authority, and they submit to his word. And when they have those just wondering questions, they don't answer them out of logic or what makes sense to them, but they're willing to open his word because here's the issue. God wants you to know the answers to this. So that you can follow him with confidence. And you know who he is. And so today, we're going to answer probably one of the most important questions. Is Jesus really the Messiah? And let me just tell you, I am going to pull no punches today. And really, I don't even need to say that. I pretty much do that every weekend, right? You're pretty much accustomed to that and used to that. And so I'm going to answer this question very specifically and very direct. And listen, let me tell you going in, do not play church with me. Do not play denominations. Do not play church. Man, just get real. Will you do that with me? And let's just examine what does the Bible say? Is Jesus really the Messiah? You see, this question was asked in the New Testament. John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ. John the Baptist is in in prison. Uh, Now, he sends a group of disciples to Jesus to ask him this very question that we're going to ask and answer today. So we don't really know that if John the Baptist was in prison and he started having some doubts in his life, he started having some questions in his life, or he wanted the disciples to hear directly from Jesus. But in Luke chapter 7, here's what the Bible says, verse 20. And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? You know what they're asking? They're asking, Are you the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Now, there's a lot of times in Christians' lives that they have this just wondering moment, and they wonder that, you know what? Is Jesus really the Messiah? What I believe, is it, is it really true? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven, or do just like all roads, do all roads like lead to him. Now, a lot of times people have those just wondering moments because they accepted Christ. They prayed for Jesus to come in their life. They started a relationship with him, but it ended there. They didn't get involved in a life group. 
They didn't get involved in a Bible study group. They never started opening the Word for themselves and going through the Bible and, and deepening in His Word. So they have those questions. But today, I want us to ask the question, clear it up, and for each one of us to be able to walk out of here with confidence and boldness because we know who He is. We know what we believe. You see, the term Messiah is an Old Testament term, and the transliterated word of Messiah means the anointed one. See, we believe, and the Bible teaches that Jesus is the pre-existent Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, he's always existed as God. He has always been God. See, incarnation comes from a a Latin word that means in the flesh. And the Bible teaches that Jesus, the Trinity, he is the preexistent Christ. And that he came, God, as man. He is the Messiah. He is eternal. The eternal pre-incarnate Christ means this, that he's always existed. He existed before the creation of the world. He existed before his birth. And so people always will ask, and a lot of times will ask, so what did he do before his birth? I mean, Scripture teaches us that. Colossians says he created the universe. Colossians says he holds all things together. In the Old Testament, you find that he ministered to a lot of the Old Testament saints. And the scripture teaches that he is the pre-existent, pre-incarnate Christ. He has always been. He has always existed. If you deny that, if you deny that he's eternal, if you deny that he's pre-existent, then you deny the Trinity You deny his deity, and worse than that, you said Jesus lied in his earthly ministry. Scripture's clear about how how to become a Christian, and you become a Christian by understanding his deity and the Trinity and who he is, and you accept him as God. Now, 9-11 services are going all over the U.S., and in in New York City, the mayor there uh, made a decision not to allow any public prayer to take place at their memorial service, which is crazy to me, how you could go through a memorial service without a prayer. Now, his justification, his reason for that is, well, you know, we got all these different religions, and we got all these different faiths in America, and and so uh, how do you do that without controversy? And that was his reason. And so the, the, the Pueblo chieftain, you read the article for yourself, so the chieftain did an article, and they began surveying many of the pastors, men and women of our community, and asking them for a response to that. One of our pastors in, in town, she made a statement, and she says, you know what, I cannot believe he's not allowing people of different religions, faith, up there. I mean... Because we all worship the same God. No, we don't. We don't. 
You cannot put a Muslim against an evangelical and, and against a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness and say with any integrity that we worship the same God. We don't. Now, I understand that's where America's headed. And I understand all this stuff because nobody wants to offend anybody. We just want to be politically correct. But let me tell you something. We do not worship the same God as the Muslims. Read the Quran. They worship a different God. The cults, whether it's the Mormons or whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses, read the doctrine of the Mormons. Yes, they believe in the pre-existence of Christ, but they believe the pre-existence of Christ. He pre-existed as a man who became a God. That's blasphemous. Don't degrade my Jesus, the one who I worship, that Father God had relations with, with Mary, who had Jesus, oh, and his brother, Lucifer. And that it's a very man-centered cult, so that with, sorry ladies, only men one day can become a god. Much like Jesus. Listen, we don't all worship the same god. And we need to be clear about that. And we need to have understanding. In fact, it's First John 2, verse 22. Here's what the Bible says. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Let's understand that. Listen, just because someone puts, their, puts the name Jesus Christ on, their, on their, their, their marquee or on their front door does not mean they worship the same Jesus as you and I. In the Greek... This is said, whoever denies the deity, the pre-existence of Christ, that he's always been God. He was God who became this earth as a man for our salvation. You know what the Bible says about them? They're an antichrist. They're against Christ. And so we just got to understand this. And I want you to know this morning... Our biggest problem in the world is not if, if this new job stimulus bill is going to give us more jobs. Our biggest question, our biggest problem in the world is not how we're going to solve our economy and the global economy. Our biggest question in this, in this time is not who's going to be elected next to office and all those other things. Our biggest question is, is Jesus really the Messiah? And who do you say he is? This is not an intellectual problem. I'm about ready to give you evidence that is just overwhelming about who Jesus was. It's a spiritual issue. It's an issue to whether you're going to come to the point and submit yourself to him and to his word. So there's three evidences, or there's three things that we can pull out of Scripture and say that Jesus was the Messiah because... The first one is this, the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus was the Messiah. You see, all the way through the Old Testament, the messianic prophecies, the prophecies that would be writing about the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled. Fact is, in, in Luke chapter, chapter 2, verse 44, the scripture says this. Then he said to them, so Jesus is talking. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus is referencing the Old Testament three different times, three different ways, three different groups of writings. 
And Jesus is saying this, all those prophecies that you, you guys grew up reading about and talking about, about the Messiah and about me, it's me. I fulfilled every one. Now, I'm just going to read you a snapshot just real quickly. Um, you can get some of these online. There's a lot of resources. If you email me, I'll be glad to, to email me this list back out to you where it says the, where it was written in, in the Old Testament where it was filled in the New Testament. But can I just read you some of the prophecies that were written in the Old Testament about Jesus, about the Messiah? Watch this. Born of a virgin, descended of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, born in Bethlehem, taken to Egypt, Herod's uh, killing of the, the, the infants, anointed by the Holy Spirit, heralded by the messenger of the Lord. He would perform miracles. He'd preach the good news. He'd minister in Galilee. Uh, cleanse the temple, would enter Jerusalem as a king on a donkey, would be rejected by the Jews, die a humiliating death, rejection, betrayal of a friend, being sold for 30 pieces of silver, silenced before his accusers, being mocked, being beaten, being spit upon, piercing his hands and feet, being crucified, two thieves on each side of him, praying for his persecutors, piercing his side, being given gall and vinegar to drink, uh, no broken bones, crucifixion, being buried in a rich man's tomb, casting lots for his garments, would rise from the dead, ascend into heaven. He'd sit down at the right hand of the Father. Now listen, I didn't read all of them to you because we just don't have time. The fact is, I could read all of them to you, but it, it, it'd take about an hour. There were so many. Now there's some people, when they look at the prophecies, they say, well... That was just kind of like a statistical accident. It just kind of happened. Seriously? An accident? Seriously, it just happened? It just happened he was born of a virgin? It just happened he was born in Bethlehem? It just happened that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver? Seriously? Are you, gonna, are you really with any intelligence or integrity? Are you going to tell me that? Oh, it just happened? That is crucifixion, there were no broken bones. Do you realize in a Roman crucifixion that never happened? Because it was the last act that they would do that when someone was crucified, that they would take and break their legs so that they would suffocate. It was a way that they made sure that the, the person that was being punished, the person that was being crucified, uh, was truly dead. Because what would happen in a crucifixion, that the only way that the individual could breathe was by pushing their body up on the nails, which created more pain. It was to make it more painful to, so they could get room to expand their lungs so that they could breathe. And so what they would do, they would take a big bat and they would break the legs of the individual so they could no longer push themselves up to breathe. And so seriously, someone's going to say that it just happened it just happened when you look at this list i mean first thing i look at is the the predictions and 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 the how hard it would be for anybody to fulfill all fulfill all those things unless they were god the second thing is this is that the large number of prophecies that are written Peter Stoner wrote a book years back called uh, Science Speaks. And so he looked, he's a mathematician. And so it was interesting to him that says, you know what, let's look at the statistical possibility of someone fulfilling all the prophecies that were written about Jesus in the Old Testament. What would that look like? 
And so what he found, he says, if Jesus was to fulfill, or any man, if any man was to fulfill, let's say, eight prophecies that were written about them hundreds of years before, that it would be the chances of that happening, please listen to this, would be one in ten to the 17th power. All right? So I'm not real strong in math, but I know this. That is one plus 17 zeros. Sometimes numbers, like when we look at the nation's debt and some other things, numbers can be so large it's hard to get our mind wrapped around just how large is that. Well, the author helps us with that. He said that would be equal to if you take the state of Texas and you take silver dollars and you take a whole boatload of silver dollars 10 to the 17th power and you lay them out on the face of the state of Texas and sorry we had to use Texas, he did it, not me. (laughs) Just the only state large enough for this illustration. You guys still with me, right? Okay. (laughs) That if you laid 10 to the 17th power silver dollars out on the face of Texas, the pile would be two feet deep across the whole state. Now then, you take a silver dollar and you mark an X on one, and then you go hide it somewhere in the pile in the state of Texas. Then you take an individual and blindfolding. You say, here's the deal. We're going to let you walk as long and far and as wide as you want to look. But when you reach down to pick up a silver dollar, it has to have the X on it. It just happened? (laughs) Seriously? Oh, and by the way, Jesus didn't fulfill eight. He fulfilled 300. What would that look like? You know what that would look like? For you to have the ability to pick out one atom in the universe. And it has a microscopic X on it. And you pick the right one. We can end the discussion right here. This is not an intellectual problem. It never is. People want to make it about intellect. And you know what? We can give the facts. We can give the figures. But here's where it comes down to. It is a spiritual issue. To where we submit to the one who died for us. We know he's the Messiah because he fulfilled 300 prophecies that could have only happened Well, being God. Second thing is this. He lived a life without blemish. First Peter writes in, in First Peter chapter, or Peter writes in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Here's the important thing, the Messiah, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So Simon Peter says Jesus Christ was without spot or blemish. He was without sin. He was without mistakes. He was without any of that. He was perfect. You see, here's the interesting thing. 
when, when Jesus lived, and ju- during Jesus' time, we know this from history, right? Uh, the Roman judicial system was one of the finest judiciary systems the world has ever known. Fact is, a lot of our system is based upon that. It's one of the greatest judicial systems to have ever been excused, existed. Then, two of the greatest men of their history, Herod and Pilate, some of the greatest legal minds, were on the throne of judgment when Jesus came before them. And they examined Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, by all 50 points of Roman law. And not once, not twice, but three times, they say, we find no fault in him. We find no fault. In fact, Jesus was silent through the whole thing, except for asking, who of you accuses me of sin? Who of you accuses me of wrongdoing? He had no accusers. Not one. Not one that had seen him. See, Jesus lived a life a little bit over three years. His life was more scrutinized, examined, than any other man in history. Not one testimony. Not one. Now, here's the interesting thing. that Before Passover, the the Jews would take the the Passover lamb. The same requirement for the Passover lamb, uh, because remember, it's a foreshadow of the things to come in the Old Testament, the prophecies and everything. And so before Passover, they would take a lamb. And it was a requirement that the lamb had to be free of spot or blemish. And they would isolate that lamb out. And then over a number of days, the priest would be again testing that lamb. And it was a very detailed, exact process because the lamb had to be free of spot or blemish to remove the sins of the people. And so the priests would actually take, and more than one, and they would separate the wool back so that they could see the skin to make sure it had no spot or blemish. For a little bit over three years, Jesus was examined. And he was scrutinized. Days before his death, just watch this, He was isolated out. And he was examined by the greatest legal minds, one of the greatest judiciary systems of their time. And they said, He is without spot. blemish so his life stands before me and it stands before you and we can have great confidence when we speak of him because he fulfilled 300 prophecies his life was without spot or blemish and you know there's some people that well okay okay wait a minute Jesus never claimed to be God I mean I've heard that you heard I mean we've read the New Testament let me let me let me just give you a few John 5 18 here's what the scripture says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath but 
He was even calling God his own father. Watch this. Making himself equal to God. See, all through the New Testament, Jesus claimed to be God. John uh, 10.30 says, I, I, and the, I and the Father are one. John 14.9, Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has what? Has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I am God. One of the most blatant claims that Jesus made of being God and being the Messiah is John 8.58. When Jesus says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, watch this, I am. You may know this from Old Testament history, that that I am was the most sacred title, the most sacred name for God. It was used in Exodus chapter 3, right? When God was sending Moses. And Moses says, well, what do I tell him? Who do I tell him has sent me? And, And God says, you simply just say, I am. Jesus used that word. So before Abraham, why? He's a pre-existent Christ. Before Abraham, I am. Now, there are some people that will, will say, well, wait a minute. Jesus did not understand what he was claiming. I mean, it was a bad day. He was stressed, and I don't think he understood what he said. Seriously? So, okay. We know this. If you just study Scripture, you just look at it. We know this from verse 59. The Pharisees understood he was claiming to be God. They picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because he claimed to be God. Listen, the Pharisees understood he was claiming to be God. Uh, Jesus understood he was claiming to be God. Jesus understood that very clearly. Jesus' enemies understood what he was claiming. You know what? In the New Testament, the Scripture tells us there were other people that said he was God. There's testimony after testimony of other people saying that he is God. It was Simon Peter and Thomas and the Apostle Paul, and I go through a list, and I give you Scripture after Scripture. But here's another interesting thing. People worshipped him in the New Testament as God. And he accepted it. When he healed a blind man, the blind man turned and worshipped him. There was a group of women in Matthew chapter 15 that worshipped him. The mother of James and John worshipped him. A blind man worshipped him. And several times throughout scripture, he accepted their worship. He didn't stop them. Why? Because he's God. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, the disciples prayed to him. When Thomas worshipped him and says, my Lord and my God, Jesus affirmed him. Remember in Acts, Paul and Barnabas and Lystra? And they'd done some miracles and they'd healed some people. And the people bowed down and began to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas says, well, wait a minute. We are only humans like you. We are only men like you. Do not worship us. Worship only God. If Jesus was not God, he would have rejected 
and would not have accepted their worship. We know he's the Messiah because of the fulfillment of prophecy. Because he lived a life without spot or blemish. He was without sin. And we also know that he's the Messiah because of his resurrection. See, Jesus just didn't predict his resurrection. He told the exact number of days. See, we get excited. I mean, I know today's the kickoff of the, of the football season. Go Cowboys. And, and uh, <laughs> See, we get excited when someone makes a sports prediction, like we're still talking about Broadway Joe Namath and the Jets and Super Bowl way, way back when they were the underdogs, and Joe Namath said, we're, we'll win it, you know, made that bold claim, and then they did it. You know, we still show clips, and we get all excited about it. But that's nothing compared to what Jesus predicted. They didn't even compare. Joe Namath couldn't have given the number of interceptions he would throw, the rushing yards, the score. He couldn't give any of that. Jesus not only predicted it, Jesus also said the number of days. And Jesus also said the resurrection will become because of my choice and my power. In other words, nobody takes my life from me. I lay my life down for you on my own accord so that you can have salvation, so that you can have forgiveness of sin, so that you can break from your past, so that you can have a different life. Watch this about the resurrection. Thomas Arnold is a former professor of history at, at Oxford, and, and he, he, he did a, a study about, uh, and then wrote about, about the re- resurrection from a historical perspective. Let me just read you a quote that, that he wrote. He says, and he's speaking of the disciples, and he says, uh, uh, he says, I know, I know of, of no one fact in, in history of mankind which is proved by better, fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of the fair inquirer, that the great sign which God hath given that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Simon Greenlee, former professor at one of the developers, and he was also one of the developers at Harvard Law School, he looked at the resurrection from a legal standpoint. All the biblical evidence, all the historical evidence. And he wrote a, a, a work that was in depth. Here's a quote he wrote. He says, It was therefore impossible that they, the disciples, could have persisted in affirming the truth that, that they have narrated. Had not Jesus actually risen from the dead, and had they not known this fact as certainly as they knew any other fact? This morning, it doesn't matter what a Harvard law professor thinks. It doesn't matter what some historian from Oxford thinks. It doesn't matter what your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your grandparents. The question you're going to be asked and the question that is before you right now is who do you say that he is? And what are you going to do with that? Jesus with a group of followers in, in Matthew chapter, chapter 16, verse 24. And he explained to them about this issue of salvation. 
that he is the Christ and he is the Messiah. And so he writes, and it's just the steps. And, and so Jesus told his disciples, he said that if anyone would come after me, if anyone would seek me, if anyone would be a fair inquirer and would come to me, he says there's a, there's, there's a few steps that, that you should take to be a follower of Christ. And he said the first thing is this, is let him deny himself. In other words, what he's saying is this. It's not a matter of what you think, and it's not a matter of what I think. We deny ourselves, and we approach the Scriptures, and we look at the claims of Christ. And we understand who He is, His deity, and His trinity. And then He says, let Him deny Himself and take up His cross. What does that mean? It's a salvation moment. It's that moment in time that each one of us should have if we're a follower of Christ to where we come to the point and we pray and we ask him to come into our life to forgive of us our sins. And see, Jesus, when he used that statement, take up his cross, he uses a unique verb tense in the Greek. He uses the aorist tense, which means this. It happens at a moment in time in the past. It's a single event. In other words, that there was this take-up-your-cross moment that a person has that is in the past. It was a single point in time to where they accepted Christ, they understood who he was, and they asked him to come into their life, forgive them of their sins, and give them the gift of eternal life. You may not know the exact second or minute that you did that. But you do need to know that there is a moment in time that you had a take up your cross moment. That you ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins. And then you started walking with him. See, it doesn't end there. See, that's just the start. And by the way, let me tell you something. When, when, when you had that moment... You don't have to accept him every weekend. You don't have to pray to receive him. He is with you. Just so we're clear. So he says, take up your cross and follow me. So now Jesus moves from an aorist tense, which is past, moment in time, and he comes to a present tense, future tense verb in the Greek, but he, he uses a very unique Greek word for this, follow me. He says, when you take up your cross, you break ties with every tradition, with anything, anybody, any habits that keep you from following me. You totally and completely break all ties and you follow me. And you follow me today. You follow me tomorrow. You follow me the next day. You follow me the next day. You follow me the day after that. And you don't look back. Luke chapter 9 says, Any man or woman who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Word in the Greek for fit means manure. You don't look back. 
because you've broken ties with the past. You've broken ties with everything that hinders you. And you radically and completely follow him. And you continue to put one foot in front of the other. Why? Because you can have confidence that he is the Messiah. And he took away your sins. And you are forgiven. And you can have confidence when you talk with people of knowing who Christ is. Because the evidence in history and the evidence in Scripture is overwhelming. So the question for you this morning, the question that's before us is, what are you going to do with this Jesus? Have you come to the place in your life where you have had a take-up-your-cross moment? Where you've accepted him, asked him to come into your life and started a relationship with you? If not, this is the day. This is the moment. This can be your take-up-your-cross day where you pray and ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the newness of eternal life. Maybe you've done that, and maybe you know that that day has happened in your life. How you doing at following him? You looking back? You broken ties with everything that would hinder you? Are you following him radically because you know he's the Messiah? Do you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes?